the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And I'm in the house with you for two hours on this Monday edition of Lifeline. The time is 5.05, and what a day it has been. Very warm, very very warm, but kind of unusually warm, if if I might say so. Just kind of a, a, a kind of weird warm. Uh, I'm, I'm not complaining so much uh, for the warmth because we are in our fall season and it will get cold here in a moment. But it's a, a bizarre warm, if you know what I mean. I don't know if it's a Santa Ana wind a prelude. Are we about to have a another uh, bizarre uh, disaster here in California? But I think we need to be watchful. Uh, but on top of being watchful, be thankful. Had a great, great day yesterday. I trust you did, too, on this program. Be Monday. Um, I always am exi- excited to talk with you about what uh, what's on your heart and mind, um, especially after Sunday, having a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time of worship. As we always say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, Our Sunday consisted of a normal Sunday day where we were uh, reasonably full uh, on on Sunday, and we had a great worship. We've been working through the I Am Statements of John's Gospel, and we are presently dealing with the third installment of I Am the Resurrection, a wonderful narrative in John 11 with so many rich uh, theological, spiritual, and practical things to learn from it. If you want to learn some things about the Savior's Ability, ability, willingness, and desire to to be an absolute blessing to those who call upon him. You might check our series out on uh, on uh, grace-bible.com. Just a wonderful day. Wonderful. I trust you had a wonderful day as well um, for worship yesterday. So that your uh, enthusiasm and your energy for this week is already in the front of you, pushing you forward as you endeavor to do that which God has called you to do. I think I've told you before, when I am done worshiping with the saints and sitting around for a couple of hours, we do a fifth inning or a fifth quarter um, extra post-game analysis, dialogue, conversation, fellowship, and all of that at our um, uh, church uh, on Sundays. And then I don't end up getting home till about four o'clock or so, maybe five sometimes. Uh, And it's all good. It's all good. I get a little work done and get to know our people and uh, deal with issues and things of that nature. But once I arrive at home, um, I make sure everything is all right in the household. And then I head down to my man cave, take my shoes off, relax, have whatever meal I'm going to be enjoying. And then um, I begin to either look at the news uh, some special reports or some significant documentary. But this season, I, I you know, this is football season, and we're in the beginning of basketball season as well. So I often like to get at home at least for halftime of a significant and notable game. 
Uh, and the 49ers were on. I think we were headed towards the end, halftime. It was halftime. And um, I wasn't watching the game. I was just watching the, the, the reports on it because, of course, one of the special historic players, Dwight Clark, was um, featured as the halftime guest, and they were celebrating his many years of playing for the 49ers. I think, think it was nine-plus years. And uh, the special catch that took place many years ago, of which if you watch football, you see him and Joe Montana connecting for a a touchdown with him leaping up uh, some 48, 50 inches in the air and just snatching down the ball. As I was listening to him speak, it just began to dawn on me that kind of feeling that I remember getting years ago as a younger, younger man listening to Muhammad Ali when Muhammad Ali was in the beginning stages of what he later on began to uh, recognize was um, Lou Gehrig's disease, Alzheimer's, those type of uh, very, very debilitating, nerve-damaging diseases that take your body for a loop and uh, just destroy your capacity to maintain composure Uh, physically. It's like a war going on in in your body when your nervous system is assaulted like that by the breakdown of proteins in your brain and thus... um, Thus, your body is just kind of in a constant uh, shorting mechanism. It's decircuiting, and and you're, you're you're shaking, as you know. And I'm listening to Dwight Clark, and it was eerie because you know when when the early stages of of uh, of uh, not so much as Alzheimer's that can be the case, but this was certainly Lou Gehrig's disease. As I later on did the research and realized that that's what he was battling, and he was actually talking about it himself. And, you know, you just wonder, don't you? And and I'm sure that if you are a sports um, aficionado, a sports advocate, as am I, um, if you are a baby boomer, and, and I'm sure those of you who are Gen Xers right now and millennials who are very much aware of the social implications of sports and the political implications as we are still talking about uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick's um, touted uh, protest that began last year, and it has just turned into a massive movement at the highest levels of our government and around the world. Um, We're not sure where all that's going to go, but we are certainly now drawn into the vortex of a political discourse around uh, the issues that are taking place in America. And once again, it exposes us for either what we don't know or don't know or how we deal with matters appropriately or not. And in the context of Christianity, biblically or not, and hence in the context of freedom, as we do have and the privilege of being able to talk these things through as we do now, we get to actually ask ourselves, you know, what do we know about how Scripture would call us to respond to different events and how a Scripture would call us to, to think through different maladies that are common to all of humanity, including Christians? And also, you know, for me as a pastor and just as a Christian, as a man, an African-American uh, born in, in this country and loving uh, our country um, on so many levels, recognizing that we are no, nowhere near what we were 40 or 50 years ago. And the transformation that's taking place in our country is both good and bad, if you would ask me. And I'd love to tell you if you just want to know where we are going from my perspective, all I can give you is my perspective on it. Um, 
But here we are looking at Dwight Clark, right? And we're sitting there trying to trek with him, knowing that he is speaking much slower than the average healthy human being would do um, without any kind of impediment or physical ailment or sickness. And, And clearly thinking, if we haven't already received the news, that something is grossly wrong. And then reflecting, if you uh, agree with this, on how many occasions we have watched our uh, sports stars and, and athletes play the game at the highest level, particularly high-impact games. And those high-impact games resulting in the kind of what we call, you know, <clears throat> News item plays or replays or highlights of, uh, and especially in football, you get tackled and here you are flying in the air three times over, three flips before you hit the ground. Remember all that? Uh, the sports media would show those kinds of tackles, uh, super hard hits, maybe sometimes two men hitting one man and that man just flying in the air, flipping two or three times. Every now and then he'd land on his feet, but most of the time he would hit the hit the grass, hit the turf, and it would be a hard hit. And we would all somewhat celebrate that hit. And we were all thankful when he got up. We almost always assumed that he would, but on occasion, not too infrequently, they didn't. And they'd get carted off and they'd go away. And sometimes they'd come back into the game and the same day and frequently not, but they'd be back the next week. And this went on for years and years and years and years and years. And we loved to see those teams that would have this level of animosity towards each other, that they were hitting each other as hard as they could. The idea was to take your opponent out, remember? But now after so many years of not only observing the necessary modifications in the game of football, in terms of uh, we are no longer politically inclined to observe uh, the levels of physical contact the way we do. That's true both in football and in basketball today, by the way. So many uh, calls in terms of flagrant fouls in the world of the NBA, flagrant fouls one and two, as you know. And I think it's because those institutions, those sports uh, mega giants are very much aware that there has been a massive price paid to build these leagues to just gargantuan sizes around the world at the expense of the uh, players themselves. Uh, for which for many of those players, dozens of years back, 20, 30, 40 years back, they made pittance in terms of the kind of money they should have made relative to the owners of the team and to the sports industry itself, as well as the media that aired them. Uh, and then they played the game for 10 years. And one of the secrets used to be is that, you know, it's football, they would lose their legs or lose their knees or be crippled by the time they're 42 and walking with canes and crutches or in wheelchairs. And, you know, the media wouldn't show those guys very much. They might come in on a special event like uh, the, uh, you know, being included in the Hall of Fame for football and they'd be in a wheelchair and not much was said. But these days, are you not very much aware when a tackle takes place and there's contact between two helmets? And you know now, don't you? You know that that is in all likelihood a concussion. And you know what's interesting about what I'm talking about? Because this has to do with the unveiling and revelation of facts that are based upon reasonable and rational and thorough and comprehensive research over time. 
that gets compromised by the political diatribe and dialectic of the left-right arguments. This is true everywhere. Uh, you know how that goes when uh, when uh, there is a diagnosis or a, a an argument or a protestation uh, against your side, against your team, against your group. You don't want to hear it. And you are willing to receive every kind of information and data and uh, research that would justify your side and, and cause you to believe that you can still hold on to the old paradigms, the old framework, the old methodology, the old techniques relative to what you believe is a sincere and proper um, event. Only to come to discover that the chickens come home to roost, so to speak, and more and more players are showing signs of Lou Gehrig's disease and all sorts of other debilitating uh, diseases that are a consequence of sports. And and I didn't really even want to go there when I saw Dwight Clark. I really didn't want to go there because I didn't want to believe, not having done the research, that I had the um, instinct of believing that he too now was a consequence of uh, football's impact. But he stated it himself. He says, I've been asked if playing football caused this disease. He has ALS. It's Lou Gehrig's disease. And Clark wrote, I don't know for sure, but I certainly suspect it did. And I encourage the NFL, PA and the NFL to continue working together in their efforts to make the game of football safer, especially as it relates to head trauma. The 60-year-old Clark says he has also lost significant strength in his right hand, midsection, lower back, right leg, and says he can't run, play golf, or walk any distance, and that picking up anything over 30 pounds is a chore. He adds the disease seems to be progressing more slowly than in some patients. Well, that's true, but when you look at him, it's clear that he's been gripped by the disease. Again, I remember thinking about that with Muhammad Ali. I remember thinking about that with Joe Frazier. I remember thinking about that you know, with other boxers, and I said, it only makes sense. I used to watch those fights at four or five years old. It, and, you know, six, seven years old, definitely four or five. I remember I just love to see uh, uh, Tommy Hearns and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and, and please, Mike Tyson, all these guys, and especially Muhammad Ali for his style, his grace, his power. But I remember even as a young young boy, 11 years old or 12 years old, thinking, you can't be getting hit upside the head like that, Muhammad and it not do something to you in the long run. That's just what I used to think. I mean, you know, you've run into the wall before, run into the door, or you played football, and you've got hit and you saw stars, haven't you? I mean, that's got to be a problem at some point. And so here it is, a problem in our society, a problem which logic would have had us to see long time ago. But what does it take for us to really realize that these are real problematic issues? Now, the reason I'm bringing it up is just to kind of get you started for the day. Be glad to hear what you would have to say about this topic of sports relative to our kids, relative to adults, period, or we might move on to other topics as well. We've got an hour and 45 minutes to do so. I'm glad to be in your home, on your radio, in your car, if you don't mind having me. But I'd love to hear from you what you think about these things. I think it's a good thing that we are much more, much more conscious of and amenable to it. I thank Will Smith 
for having done the movie on that particular uh, football injury thing, concussions. Yeah, I watched it and I said that was a good that was a good documentary. That's one of the movies that we can say movies are worth something because they educate us at a level that we don't get in our regular media. A lot of times it goes to show you how media is extremely complicit on so many levels. Um, Why am I saying that? Because we ought to be lovers of life. Not only lovers of life, but we ought to be people who are promoters of life. But to be a lover of life and to be a promoter of life, you have to have logical reasoning skills that are based upon sound ethical and moral principles that are equitable in nature across the board so that you are not jaded by idols that would cause you to just contradict rationale. You got a brother that can run a 4-4 and 40 yards, and he weighs 235 pounds, 265 pounds, and he lunges at you like a missile and hits your head, boom. You're going to tell me that that does not contribute to some kind of malady and uh, debilitating disease in, in your body at some point in time? And I've been preaching on the body lately in our church, teaching rather on Friday nights about the body for the believer. And this is true for the unbeliever as we prepare for a break. You are not your own. You have been bought with the price. Therefore, you and I are to do what? Glorify God in our bodies, which are his. That does merit raising the question, how do we handle our temples? Wouldn't you say? Um, Because to whom much is given, much is required. All the lines are open. I'd love to hear from you on this this topic. Any other topic? You got some biblical questions, some theological issues, some family issues, some struggles or some challenges while the airtime is available for you and me, yours truly. Jesse Gistin, give me a call. The number is one 367 5329 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time five twenty-five. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to call and chat with me, keep me company for the next hour and a half. You can do so. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine to reach yours truly on this Monday edition of Lifeline, uh, October twenty third, two thousand and seventeen. Wonderful year to be alive. Wonderful day to be alive. A wonderful opportunity for us to talk about what might be on your heart and mind right now. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Put that number down. You need to be calling me. Um, and as you prepare to call, I do want to remind you of what my friend uh, Phil Howard, uh, pastor of Valley Bible Church in uh, uh, right on the brink of uh, San Pablo and uh, I would say Pinot, maybe more Pinot. Pinot um, is going to be having a, a KFAX listener appreciation Dinner and uh, let's say a time of worship and conference on November 10th. And I really do want to encourage you, if you live in that area, particularly in the area of uh, Pinot, right there on the brink of Highway 4, it's right there on that spot, cool spot, wonderful church, plenty of room, and we're trying to... Make sure that the folks who are intending to come out, not only come out, but contact us before 
uh, you come out, um, going to be a great time. I'm going to be there. I'm actually going to be the keynote speaker. I will be preaching to you uh, for a small season in that whole uh, gala event that I'm looking forward to on the subject of the sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Christ. Um, I am so thankful for that assignment. I just want to share the word of God with you with passion, with purpose, um, and, and to exhort you to, to look to our Savior and to, to go deeper with him in his word. Uh, a, the, it's going to be a wonderful time of singing and praise and worship. I want you there. Uh, so it's going to be a Valley Bible Church. You can call the KFAX office or you can call our office, Grace Bible Church in Hayward, uh, and get the information. But take down this date, November 10th. I think it's about 6.30 p.m. in the evening at uh, Valley Bible Church in Pano. Valley Bible Church in Pano with Pastor uh, Phil, uh, Phil Howard and uh, Pastor Philip Howard is the uh, voice on um, Truth For Today. Uh, that comes on every morning, early in the morning, and then definitely on the weekends on Sunday morning. I, I go to, I go to worship with him uh, Sunday mornings at around eight thirty to nine in the morning. And if you know the program, if you benefited from his program or either mine, and I think what I'm going to do is try to do a listener appreciation thing in the years to come too. If I can get a facility that can hold all the folks who generally do come out, I will. But I'm looking forward to that time. And so between now and uh, let's see, about three weeks from now, I will be letting you guys know uh, to to mark that date off on your calendar and to give me a call and to be part of that event with me, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, three lines open, one 367 Three lines open, one 367 Two lines open now, one 367 Five three two nine. Uh, let's see, three lines open now. So give me a call one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me just share with you another article before we go to break. I thought this was so interesting, uh, and this one here is along the lines of something that I experienced on Saturday uh, here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We have a Daughters of Grace ministry. We started this about a year ago. And it's just been f- phenomenal. It's just been a blessing. It's a, it's a, just a new work we launched, and it's a Titus two principle type of ministry where our older women minister to their sisters, their peers, as well as the downline, their younger daughters and nieces and grandchildren, etc. And uh, we've had about five presentations over the year, and uh, this one that just occurred on Saturday was a spiritual purse for your journey. And it was a sort of a, a second um, sort of an echo, a revamp of the previous one, a spiritual backpack for the journey of our young daughters heading into school, middle school, high school, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's all about taking biblical truth, uh, pressing it through and into the culture and demonstrating how that a believer can actually live uh, a life of, of devotion to Christ and discernment in terms of their culture so that they don't have to compromise and find themselves in situations where they are failing to stand for Christ. And that's the whole purpose of the Titus 2 ministry. Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 says that the older women should minister to, teach, educate, strengthen, the young women in terms of what it means to to exercise and practice a godly character. And uh, this meeting this Saturday was just wonderful. Uh, four, four topics, 
And they were all about prayer. They were all about thoughtfulness. They were all about carefulness and then joyfulness. Prayerfulness, thoughtfulness, carefulness, and joyfulness. Prayerfulness, thoughtfulness, carefulness, and joyfulness. You really do want to listen to the messages. You can get them online at grace-bible.com. We have live streaming. You can catch the uh, whole thing on video or just listen on audio. If you really want some good, edifying words, you will benefit from the series. I, I sat there through all four speakers didn't move, enjoyed it thoroughly, and you will too. And that that brings me to the next topic while I'm waiting on your calls. Uh, three powerful questions to unlock your teen's heart. Three powerful questions. The author is a, is a, is a female, and she's writing about the challenge of being able to get into the heart of your children Especially, you know how our kids get to that place where they are um, just quiet. That's one of the reasons we did the last two uh, Daughters of Grace meetings to help you figure out what they're doing when they are on their cell phones or on their computers and barely talking to you. This lady was thoughtful enough to work through a methodology by which she could unlock the heart of her teens. And wouldn't you want to know what that's about as well? Wouldn't you want keys or principles by which... um, you could actually, you know, tap into your, your son or your daughter and have a healthy and viable conversation. The truth be told is that we don't always have the ability to achieve that. It's like a normal thing that uh, parents and children uh, end up having this kind of uh, qualified relationship where the parents don't go there and the children don't let them. <laughs> where the parents don't go there and the children don't let them. You know what I'm talking about. And the children end up having that space where we never go there and they never let us until they're adults. And then all of a sudden there's some envy and anger in the hearts of our young children because we weren't there for them, as they might put it. And uh, truth be told, in many cases, we probably just didn't know how to go there without them getting upset and talking about, you know, we're controlling and this and that and the other thing. Well, this is three powerful questions to unlock the heart of your teens, and I won't get a chance to talk about this until after the break. Do have one caller on the line. Three lines are open, one 367 Three lines are open, one 367 I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll answer your calls, and we'll talk about how to unlock the heart of our teens. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we are back to the time, 537. One line open, three lines open, rather, one 5329 If you want to call in and chat with yours truly, love to hear from you. one 5329 on this Monday edition of Lifeline with your host, Jesse Gistan. Let's go to Rico in Mill Valley on line number two. Rico, what is your question, comment, or observation, sir? Uh, Pastor, uh, thank you for your Program. My question is, uh, it's about the taking care of our body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, actually, so first, what is your what, what is your take or stand on tattoo? Because uh, I met a lot of young adults or friends like God. They uh, they would say that God looks at the heart, not the outside. So I'm just uh, wondering about your position about getting tattoo in which it is really acceptable in our culture right now. Right. And second question is smoking and drinking. 
my friend told me, like, it's okay to drink and smoke because the Bible doesn't prohibit. And he would say, like, it's okay to do it moderately, drink moderately. So my question is, how moderate is moderate for Christian to do that? Excellent questions. Excellent questions. And they are classical in nature. Um, and, and all three of those questions really have to do with the temple uh, of, of the believer, the body of the believer in many ways. We could also be talking, Rico, about food and different kinds of foods and a number of things, how we expose ourselves to all sorts of environments that can be toxic, stressful, uh, and therefore, you know, compromising of our immune system, et cetera. We could, a lot of things we could talk about along those lines. Let's start first with a theological premise that's critical for us to recognize. First, if we're really children of God, then we know that our salvation is based purely upon the grace of God in Christ and that works have nothing to do with contributing to our righteous standing, our justification or our eternal communion with God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy spirit. We are united to them uh, by virtue of what they accomplished. The father sent the son came, the spirit took what the son did and accomplishing our redemption and applied it to our heart so that we cry Abba father by the spirit because of the son of the living God. And thus we have communion with the true and the living God. Uh, in terms of him owning us as uh, redeemed men and women, uh, sons and daughters, children, etc., cetera, uh, he has laid out in his word that we are to live in a way that brings glory to God. First Corinthians 10, 13, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. That's a fundamental principle. So what we do is we take the principle of glorifying God and use that as a framework, as a prism, as a grid, as a basis for determining w- whether or not what we do is acceptable and profitable. If I am always asking the question, is this something that honors God? Then I'm going to almost always be leaning towards a right way of dealing with what might be a liberty of minds in Christ. Because the real challenge, Rico, is that what your friends are talking about and what others would be talking about and what we all have to learn how to manage is the difference between God's imperative commandments that are designed for us to do without compromise and those liberties wherein God gives us the freedom to exercise uh, the right to actually in, uh, engage in them or not engage in them. So we will have liberties in terms of uh, what, what kind of clothing we are going to wear. But we don't have liberties in terms of not wearing clothing at all. That is to say, going around naked or wearing clothing that's going to be seductive. We don't have the liberty to ask the question, how seductive are these clothing that I'm wearing? How um, tempting and alluring is this dress? I know this largely would apply to women, but we know today it applies to men as well. If our pants are too tight and uh, and we are exposing ourselves in ways we ought not to, that's unacceptable to God, because what that's doing is putting a stumbling block before our brother. So when a man or a woman is a child of God and they're walking in love uh, and faith is always working by love, it doesn't never terminate in its own self-aggrandizement or its own self-agenda. So walking by faith is walking in love. That means we want to please God and we want to respect our neighbor. We don't want to put a stumbling block. But let's go back now to something that might be within the framework of our liberty, as is established in the whole treatment of it in Romans 14. Whatever is our liberty, uh, Rico, should be a liberty that's based upon wisdom, based upon prudence, and even based upon the facts. 
Let's say tattoos. Tattoos have always been popular, always been popular with knuckleheads and largely only with knuckleheads. And I'll say, tell you why. And it's not only because I'm an old fogey now, but um, all of the people that I know that are believers in Christ and have moved into levels of maturity in Christ. I don't know any believer in Christ, Rico, who has moved into a maturity in Christ and have now recognized that the life that they have remaining uh, is, is to be given to the service of God. I don't know any believer in Christ, Rico, who looks back and when they think about all the tattoos that they've put on their bodies can say, you know what? This is an edifying thing that I did. It edifies me. It edifies others. It glorifies God. I don't know one mature believer in Christ who would say that. I don't know one mature believer in Christ who would look back in his pre-cross BC before the cross life experience of darkness and sin when they themselves were their own idols, because that's really what we are outside of uh, submitting to the true of the living God. We're our own idol. Uh, and we, we, we commence to consuming life on ourselves as if we are the point of termination and satisfaction and pleasure. And one of the glaring testimonies that, that we are walking idols is our totem pole, presentation of uh, of icons and images and statements and commentaries written all over our bodies, especially in a visible way for people to see our, our, our indigenous Ameri- uh, American uh, Indians. They have totem poles and on those totem poles are images and icons and symbols, uh, iconographic uh, emblems that that speak, tell messages, give ideas. And I would suggest that when we do the tattooing, we are being a walking totem pole. And one might say, well, I'm going to put tattoos on that glorify God. And I'm going to put Bible verses on and images and icons of scripture. Um, okay. That's that. If you do that, ask the question. Ask the question. Am I really calling attention to Christ or am I calling attention to myself? You see, if we are doing things where it is really about us, then the The good likelihood is, Rico, is that it's sin. So with the totem pole things, yeah, your friend, the tattoos, your friends will be able to say, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that we can't do it, particularly in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it did have some frameworks where God says, don't be like the heathen. When it was talking about not cutting yourself and not making, as it were, images on your body because the pagans around them in the land of Canaan were doing that. I'm with God. I got that. We don't need to call attention to ourselves like that. For believers, we need to call attention to the glory of God in the person of Christ by our character and our conduct, not by weird and bizarre uh, behaviors and, and, and practices that really do call attention to us. But as human beings, we are so fallen and so inclined to those kinds of things that we will justify it. Uh, even in the name of Jesus, but in fact, a matter, um, it is not a mature thing to do. So I've given you uh, an answer with regards to tattoos. Now let's go to the inner part of our sanctuary. That is our, our physical bodies, our blood system, circulatory system, um, our, 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 our brains, uh, the biochemical and uh, neurotransmission areas that actually determine our psyche and our emotions and how we feel. Well, yeah, once we start smoking cigarettes, Um, You can say you're smoking cigarettes in the name of Jesus, but in reality, once again, you are terminating on yourself and you're seeking a high out of the nicotine. And in fact, in all likelihood, it's an addiction. I've seen many Christians 
bemoan the fact that they are addicted to smoking the cigarettes, smoking cigarettes. And these are men and women who are solidly Christian based upon the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. They are not at all struggling with works religion, if you will. But they do know that the spirit of God is not giving them a carte blanche to continue inhaling carcinogens into their throat. They know that. They know that intuitively. We don't have to build a theological argument from scripture as to what happens when you turn the inside of your body into a chimney. The evidence is overwhelmingly and glaringly uh, obvious to anyone who looks at smokers' lungs just after a few years. So you and I know that. So then what would propel or compel young people, because usually it's young people who will rationalize it, that they can smoke and it's their freedom in Christ? Well, it's selfishness, Rico, selfishness. What do believers who don't smoke and believers who don't do the totem pole, tadpole, uh, tattoos all over their body do? Well, we don't condemn them. We just don't condemn them. We recognize that they are exercising their freedom, and we recognize often that they are exercising their freedom on a wrong premise. It really is going to be sin from a motive standpoint. But they want to do it. And, and when we have brothers and sisters, Rico, that are doing things that we know are not wise and not healthy— The only thing we can do is pray for them because they are going to smart for it because God allows us to suffer the consequences of our actions. And when they occur, then no one has to say anything. We know it ourselves. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap of the flesh corruption. That is an inviolable law of reciprocity. It occurs for us all. The same goes with drinking. It is certainly true that the Bible does not prohibit drinking. But it certainly prohibits drunkenness and drunkenness serves in the same kind of capacity that um, that 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 uh, smoking would do or excessive tattoos all over the body. When a person is inebriated, they're centering their joy around themselves. They are wasting themselves because they are dealing with things, hiding things, covering up things. And it's all uh, a, a symptom of a lack of satisfaction with God. Now, before I close on this one, because this is really important, I'm glad you called, Rico. Glad you called. Again, Romans 14, 23 clearly says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Biblical faith is always going to point us to Christ. It's never going to point us to ourselves. So we want to make sure that we don't distort the meaning of faith because people will use the term faith to justify all kinds of bad things. And we do. So for your friends that are engaging in these practices and you know intuitively, uh, that's not right. Um, tell them, I don't think is wise. I don't think you're justified by scripture to ruin your bodies like that. Um, but that's your that's your right to do. And there will be consequences for it. And I'm praying for you. That's the best way to do it, because we don't want to lose our friends over those things. But we don't want to be afraid to tell them the truth out of love as well. Those are great questions, Rico. And call again. Now, all the lines are open. one 367 one I really do not mind these kinds of questions about the temple of our body. Uh, the body being the temple of the Lord or his 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 purchased possession and how we should um, how we should care for it. But when we come back, I will unlock I'll give you the three, four questions that unlock your teen's hearts, especially for you parents who need to know it. Now, the lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. 
All right, the time is 5.54. We've got a few minutes in this segment, and then we have one hour more to engage in conversation and dialogue on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I do want to get to the three powerful questions to unlock the heart of your teens. I know you guys are waiting with bated breath for those four questions that I think are pretty good. This sister is, uh, she's pretty insightful. But to do that, we better clear the line. So let me go to line number one first and start with Danny and San Mateo. Danny, are you there? What's your question, comment, or observation? Danny, line number one. Danny, are you there? Yes, sir, I am here. All right, what's your question, comment, or observation, sir? First observation, I wanted to say that when Kaepernick did that, mm-hmm. no one had stood behind him, and then later on, everybody kind of like fell in line because of what he stood for. They always thought that, what is this man doing this? Why is he doing this? He did it for a reason, to speak out on, on say, what they was doing to the black, mm-hmm. killing them, beating them, and that type of thing. That's one Secondly, I want to say to you, thank you, because I spoke to you sometime in the beginning of the year, okay. uh, being with the young lady that I've been with for almost 16 years. Uh, we never got we never got married, um, never got a divorce, so I walked away from this. Okay. And now I apologize. She's calling and crying that she needs to be with me, and I'm trying to find peace in my heart. What do I do? spiritually, um, on how to kind of mend back the years that I've lost being with her and she was still married, never got a divorce, but she still wants to be in my life. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Please help me with that. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, um, when we're talking about a a, a season being over with, whether that season, uh, Danny, is good or bad. Danny, are you? Is that us or Danny? Uh, Danny is good or bad? Yeah, Danny. Danny, is your Danny is your radio on? Okay, I'll turn it off. Got to turn it off. Yeah, I hate listening to myself. <laughs> are you back? I wasn't trying to be rude. <laughs> no, no, no. I got it. I know. Who, who knows? But I, yeah. Once I start hearing me, it's like nightmares, and I was like, okay, I'm in trouble. Um, okay. The first thing I would say is that we all have to accept seasons and seasons are um, sometimes they are abrupt when they end. But that's the nature of life. Um, the 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 nature and characteristic of the season that you were in with this woman obviously was not appropriate. You know that if she was married and you guys were uh, engaging in intimate friendship for 16 years, it was wrong. Correct. Correct. Right. So the most <laughs> the most uh, celebratory uh, and and uh, definite uh, resolve for which you should be moving forward is that, you know, as much as there may have been and obviously worse was for 16 years, some emotional benefit that you derive from it. We all need love. I certainly agree with that. Um, you are now walking in obedience before God. You are no longer serving as a means of sending her to hell by practicing um, an illicit relationship that you guys know that you didn't have a right to while as yet she remained married. And so you actually have to stand on the principle of loving her rightly now versus loving her wrongly. And and I listen, I get the idea that she wants to be with you. You know, you probably all that and a little bit more. Um, it's a wonderful thing when, when we have someone who loves us. I mean, it's just fabulous. Danny, I marry people all the time and I love doing weddings for people 
who are actually in love because it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be loved. But when you and I know that we can't have that love uh, for whatever reason there is, then something has to die. And that's really what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a grieving process and she doesn't handle it as well as you do. And that's sometimes normal. Sometimes men do the same things, but apparently she was much more emotionally invested than you. And now she is struggling with losing you. You're going to have to stand your grounds on the basis of repentance on the basis of faith and on the basis of love. You're going to have to say you're going to have to say to your friend, this act of repentance on my part is my growing up and becoming mature about my being a believer. My my my, my faith to move forward is also a consequence of my growing up and becoming a more mature believer and I am loving you by leaving you in a situation where you have to work through your marriage with your spouse or resolve that on your own. I don't get to facilitate or or um or prompt um a dissolution of your marriage just because we have feelings towards one another. And listen Danny, that's not going to be easy. You're just going to have to allow it to die. And then how my hope my whole base with her when we first started meeting was about the Bible. Uh, five years after that relationship, then I found out that she was married. Okay. And I was basing a lot of the love that I have for her was my spirit, yeah. her spirit, that we would be able to just say, okay, God's going to bless this, and then to find out that this was going on. I don't want anything to happen for me or her while we were together and then find myself dying in sin. Agreed. Um, I, know, I know for me for that, um, and I apologize to the audience, I don't want to stand in front of God and say, well, I was here. He said, well, you had this much time to do this, and you didn't do this, so you got caught up in your sin, and so now you're here in front of me. I would hate to have that much pressure on my heart, on my spirit, to knowing that my physical need is pulling somebody away from God. You Agreed. know what I mean? Oh, no, totally. Totally, and to absolutely. Have, and to have that weight on my heart every day if I'm going somewhere, if I'm going, if just going somewhere in the back of my mind, we can be in a car accident or something can happen. And that's a heavy, heavy, heavy deal if you think about it the way I think about it. Well, God has graced you to move in a direction of repentance, and very few people do. Um, I teach that the Bible teaches that repentance is a gift from God. We can feel remorseful, but until God gives us the power to walk away from sinful behaviors, all we're going to do is think about it. And, and yes, we're convicted in our mind. And yes, we are fearful. And yes, we are not walking with the assurance and security that the Holy Spirit gives us when he grants us the ability to do what's right. And now you're moving towards the light. You're moving towards a place of favor and, and acceptance uh, and communion with your Heavenly Father. And that's the right place to go. And she'll get there, too. Too. If she's a believer in Christ, she'll get there too. But we've got to let this thing die. So the thousands and thousands of people that are out there, uh, Danny, listening, who have been where you are and have overcome those same kinds of trials will be praying for you. And six months from now, six months from now, call me back and let us know how well you have been restored in terms of when you walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he shines on our way. The Bible is very clear. There is no way to be happy in Jesus except to trust and obey. Amen. God Amen. bless you, my brother. I got to let you go. I'll talk to you later. 
I'm, that that call was really good. Let me try to clear out the lines. Let me go to Daryl on line number two in Santa Clara. Darren on line number two. Darren, are you there? Hi there. Um, great talking with you because I normally listen to you almost every day, and you've been a great blessing uh, to me uh, discovering uh, family. Is it family life for today? Okay. All and, right. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, can I ask you anything? Sure. You can ask me uh, anything uh, as long as it's uh, <laughs> as long as it's not so b- bizarre that we have to uh, bleep you out. Yes, um, I just wanted to know your position on uh, spiritual gifts. Um, I haven't heard you uh, talk so much about it. I've heard you mention it a couple times, but I just uh, wanted to know, what what do you think is going on with spiritual gifts today? That's a complex situation, and let me see how I can put it, because I just did a recent teaching in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, and for many years I've taught through 1 Corinthians 14. I would say that first and foremost, all of the gifts of the Spirit uh, that are rendered in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and Romans chapter 12 are still employed and practiced today, but not in the way they were practiced in the first century. So often what people are asking when they ask the question, are spiritual gifts are the spiritual gifts still a, a, a practice today? Well, most believers who actually are Bible believing Christians, Darren, would know that at least some of the gifts are still being employed. The gift of faith is still being employed. The gift of prophecy is still being employed in a biblical context. The gift of the word of knowledge and word of wisdom. That's all being uh, employed because of the sufficiency of scripture. The gift of uh, of uh, discernment. That's all being deployed. There are many other gifts. The gifts of miracles and healings. They're all being uh, deployed. Even the gifts of languages are being uh, employed, but they're being employed through the sufficiency uh, and prism of scripture um, as the vehicle by which these things are manifested and exhibited in the life of the church. So if I were teaching first Corinthians chapter 12, first uh, Corinthians chapter 14, as a person who holds a uh, qualified cessationist position over against a person who would be holding to, let's say a qualified uh, perpetrator, position. Uh, these are the ra- relatively two extremes in the church view in terms of the, uh, the, the, the presence and application of the gifts of the spirit. If we were uh, holding classical oppositional positions, we might agree that they're being employed, but we would agree how they're being employed. We would agree that it's clear that God is still graciously healing, graciously saving, graciously revealing, graciously teaching, graciously edifying, graciously restoring because that is the totality of salvation, period. It is a healing process for the body. But we would disagree probably radically about the manifestation of it and the interpretation thereof. So the subject is complex. It's very complex. Um, but I, if you're listening to me over time, you will hear me become even more... Uh, explicit about what those texts teach in terms of the gifts of the spirit. So the question is complex. I hope that helps a little bit. I've got to take a break. Thanks, Darren, for the call. Let me go to line three briefly and speak with uh, Jonathan and Vallejo. Jonathan, what is your question, comment, or observation, sir? My brother, good to hear from you, man. You, you too. Uh, I just wanted, I wanted to give you a status update. I, I've definitely been uh, messing you guys over. At yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, my uh, my wife has been um, out of work for uh, you know the pregnancy. Right. And now she's on disability, so I've been taking care of her most of the time. Uh, so been able to make it out to the church. So, um, man, we've been we've been missing you guys at Grace. And We're missing you too. And you and the, and the family, and can't wait to get back out to see you guys in fellowship all together. So, um, but yeah, man, I just I just wanted to, to say hello, and then um, also too, if if you wouldn't mind praying for us, and um, especially praying for me at this season, um, I guess it's just become more of a uh, trying period for me as a as a man and as a husband. Right. Um, my time has been so caught up with my work, and then coming home, and you know, taking care of my wife, and it's become um, a little stressful at times. And especially not being able to be around the, uh, you know, the body. Absolutely. To go to the services. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I just definitely need, you know, just uplifting and prayer for, uh, you know, strength to continue this. My wife's got about five more months to go, uh-huh. praise God. And uh-huh. so far it's been a, 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 a healthy pregnancy. It's just it's been taking a toll out on her. Absolutely. Listen, yeah. we got you, brother. We got you. Every bit of it, emotionally, psychologically, practically, you in the trenches with a number of brothers. It's, don't don't apologize. I'm glad you called in. Thousands are praying for you now, and certainly the church family uh, at Grace is praying for you. Email me, man, so we can just do a little bit more acute catch-up. But we got you, brother. We got you. And may your, and tell your wife uh, we miss her and love her, too. But uh, we, we certainly understand where you guys are right now. So uh, don't be shy to give me an email. And if you... If it gets serious, give me a call, okay? Most definitely. All right, thank you, brother. All right, blessings. You too. I've got to take a break. We'll be right back. Two lines open, one 367 Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.